this week on the Totally Biased Media Podcast, we talk Kingdom Hearts, discuss the worst deal in gaming some more, we expose a famous YouTuber, and more. Stay tuned for another friend-powered episode of TBM. I'm Jackson Walkup, and this boat runs on happy faces. I'm Jason Simmons, and yeah, I am a toy. And a friend. I'm Jordan Walkup, and I know, without a doubt, that Kingdom Hearts is light. Folks, we are of course talking about Kingdom Hearts. And we figured that with Sora finally getting to join the fray in Smash Brothers, that it was as good a time as any to finally get in to one of my favorite games of all time. Now, Kingdom Hearts is a long, storied series, primarily following a boy named Sora as he travels across these Disney-inspired worlds with his companions Donald Duck and Goofy. You know, from the Disney stuff. So the story starts with Sora and his best friends Riku and Kairi, one of which he strongly prefers, and you'll figure out which one very quickly. Or you won't, uh, just like the creators didn't. <laughs> yeah. You'll figure out the creators uh, messed it up when they were trying to make him favor one. And the three of them are planning to leave their home of Destiny Islands and go out and see all the other worlds. Now, their intention is to set sail on a raft across the oceans and, I guess, into space. So the logic isn't quite there, but it all comes together for them eventually. Look, they're kids. They're not going to know what they're doing. They're not going to have a concept of space, I guess. <laughs> but the night before they intend to leave, this big storm breaks out. And Sora heads out of his home to go and try and protect the raft they had built to sail away on. And he finds the island is just completely covered in these real tricky, shadowy things that are just sort of squirming around the island, and uh, he doesn't have a way to fight them. So he's just kind of running around when he runs into Riku, who's also uh, decided to come to the island. But instead of protecting the raft, Riku's just kind of chilling. And uh, you actually find out uh, shortly after that Riku was uh, actually really busy immediately giving in to darkness at the very first opportunity he was given to do so. So basically, Riku is swallowed into darkness, almost pulls Sora in with him, but out of nowhere, this bright flash of light comes in and saves Sora and gives him a big old key. So this mysterious voice kind of out of nowhere is like, hey, this is a keyblade and you should use it to fight. So Sora does, but he does not succeed in defeating all the darkness and saving his home and he's swallowed up as well. The whole island is swallowed up as well. So, this I know this is already going long for plot synopsis, but Sora wakes up in a mysterious town full of people he doesn't recognize, but the players will immediately recognize as iconic Final Fantasy characters like Squall and Aerith and Yuffie and Sid. 
and I did not recognize any of these characters. Well, you didn't even you recognize know. Squall, the main character from even... Final Fantasy VIII. You've never even seen him before. No, that's impressive. Kids these days, <laughs> but basically, these new Final Fantasy guys. Uh, tell Sora that the Keyblade is a crucial weapon in stopping all the other worlds from getting swallowed up like his was. Shortly after, he runs into Donald and Goofy, who are on a uh, a parallel quest to find the key and save their king, and uh, they decide they're going to team up. So Sora, Donald, and Goofy decide they're going to go out on this magic spaceship thing, they travel to some other worlds, which all happen to be very similar to popular Disney films. They beat a bunch of bad guys. Um, Mickey Mouse shows up for a minute. Um, so if like if you listen to all of that and think, wow, this is just way too straightforward, just wait. You got ten more games coming, and it gets into time travel, clones, other dimensions, dark versions of the good guys, it's it's it gets wild, y'all. But I'm gonna kick it over to y'all. Anything important that I missed, or any like especially like weird details that we should get into here? Yeah, I mean, there's something really important when the island is being swallowed by the darkness. Uh, you see, Sora runs off to get Riku or to save the raft on the island, and he runs into Riku. Riku was called there. By the darkness, I believe. Because he already yes, had the darkness right. in his heart. He was already a bad dude. And um, also, when Sora left, uh, it was right when his mom called him for dinner. So he <laughs> made that dinner, and then Sora didn't even eat it. Also, important detail, the only time that you hear mention of Sora's parents at all in this entire years long expedition is one time when his mom's like, Hey, dinner's ready. And he ignores her and, or I guess he's already left. So he's not ignoring her and, uh, just never really hear anything from them. I assume that they like are aware that Sora has been missing for the last three plus years by the end of kingdom hearts three, but just no parents. They don't show well, up anymore. Well, it's even more interesting than that. In Kingdom Hearts 2, everyone in Destiny Islands forgot about Sora. I guess that means his parents did too. Is huh. his mom just really huh. confused? Like, <laughs> Why do we have this bedroom for someone else? <laughs> Why do we have all these family pictures together? <laughs> yeah, this... This game is wild, y'all. Who is this boy? <laughs> okay, so so let's talk about our, our personal experiences with the series here. So Jackson, you're definitely the newest to all of this, considering that you're approximately the same age as this series. Uh, so how much have you played of both this game and Kingdom Hearts as an anthology, whatever, as a whole? Well, I've played two Kingdom Hearts games. Uh, most of Kingdom Hearts 1, and, uh, because it was new at the time, uh, some of, I think, Dream Job Distance? Yeah, th yeah, that one, because that was the one on the 3DS. I specifically remember the trauma level from that one. <laughs> so, that for... is, that's all my experience with Kingdom Hearts, just not even two full games. 
So for perspective, he has played part of the first game in the series and part of the seventh game in the series. <laughs> Granted, when the seventh one came out, I was like not even ten. Yeah, yeah. So I did not know anything that was going on. You but know, from what I hear, no one knows what's going on anyways. I will say Kingdom Hearts 3D, it had the Tron level. And I remember at the time thinking like, oh, that's really cool. You know, because we got a Tron level in Kingdom Hearts 2 that was really good. And I, until I replayed Kingdom Hearts 3D, I was like, both of the Tron levels are really good. Um, <laughs> the Tron level in Kingdom Hearts 3D sucks. Yeah, it is quite bad. Like, I, I hate it. It's no fun. The one in Kingdom Hearts 2, though, I think held up a bit better. So, so Jason, let, let's lead into that. So, you've also played all eleven games on this list, I presume. Um, yeah, I I believe I've played the most of the mobile games as well. Because hmm. I did I, you play Kingdom Hearts Key? So, so I played it when it first came out, and I played all of the content there was at launch, but that was like. 10% of the total content that was added over the years. Do you so ever, did you ever meet Wreck-It Ralph? <laughs> I did not. All right, I played quite a bit more than you, I'm going to assume. <laughs> yeah. I think at launch there was only like five Disney Worlds, and they were all ones that were from previous games. Look at this guy, he doesn't even know Wreck-It Ralph. Me and Ralph, we go way back. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I've played all the games, and I've beaten all of them. Well, I, I never beat the mobile game. Uh, and there's a new mobile game that just came out this year as well, I believe. Yeah. I, I didn't even start it, really. I played, like, an hour of it, maybe. Yeah, I played it in, like, I played, like, two sittings worth, which was maybe maybe a couple of hours. And I was like, huh, this isn't very good. I'll come back when it's done. And I, I don't think I will. Um, especially if it goes anywhere near as long as the last mobile game. But well, this one's a lot shorter. I think they've already planned how it's going to end and everything. Ah, uh, the sense. last one, I think they were just going until Kingdom Hearts 3, if I right. had to guess. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. So an important thing about this series and sort of <laughs> the way that your personal history with the series probably changes based on your age is uh, the console lineup for these games was wild. Because you had the first game that launched on the PS2. Chain of Memories, which was a spin-off that takes place between 1 and 2, launched on the Game Boy Advance. Then we went back to the PS2. Then they released a mobile game that was a pretty huge failure, both in terms of uh, critical and commercial success, which they released on the DS three years later, or two years later, technically. And it's it's just jumped around a whole bunch since then, too. Like, you had... The DS and the PSP, then the 3DS, then the then the mobile games started coming out, which actually started as a PC game in Japan, and then then you had a weird prologue thing for the PS4, and then uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 rolled around, and finally was no longer PlayStation exclusive, and then you got this newest game, which is like a music a music uh, rhythm game spinoff, which is now also on Switch for some reason. So like, well, I believe I believe all, all of them the are on everything. Uh, once the the newly announced Switch releases come out, yes, all, I, I believe all of, them, all of them will be on PlayStation Four. Well, PlayStation Four and Five, the new Xboxes, the old Xbox uh, One, and the Switch, as well as PC. 
Yes. So they are, it is finally, <laughs> one of the game's biggest problems about being accessible to, to younger crowds is finally out of the way. Now the problem with accessibility is everything else about the series. <laughs> now the problem with accessibility is that the oldest game in the series is 19 years old. Yeah. And it feels like it. Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> Speaking of, it's wild. Kingdom Hearts 1 sucks. Like, it's it's not gameplay-wise. I mean, like, story-wise, it's whatever. Gameplay-wise, like, Kingdom Hearts 1 is not good. It has not held up at all. It does not feel good yeah. to play. And we'll get into exactly why I think that is a, a little bit later. But Kingdom Hearts really... 2 has aged amazingly. Yes, still, still an absolutely phenomenal game. I think Kingdom Hearts 2 combat is... I don't think that there's that big of a gap between the combat and like Kingdom Hearts 2 and Kingdom Hearts 3. Like I, yeah. I really think yeah. that they, they both feel really good in their own ways. Kingdom yeah. Hearts 1 combat feels bad. Yeah. And I think it's Kingdom because Hearts... they decided the way that enemies would... Uh, like The way they would pad out battles is that enemies will just stay slightly out of range of you. <laughs> Like, consistently. They will be constantly moving to be just out of range of your regular melee attack. There's this yeah. there's this enemy near the end that's especially annoying called, like, an angel star or something like that. Uh, it's healed by magic. And during several points uh, when you're fighting it, it will either... It'll close its wings so it's completely invulnerable to your melee attacks. Or it'll fly up in the air where you can reach it and you think you'll be able to hit it, but it'll just strafe around you staying right outside of your range is the most annoying enemy to fight. And if you don't kill it in time, it spawns more. Yeah. Absolute nightmare. Yeah. So speaking of some very weird decisions in that regard, so Jackson, you know, pretty clear you've bounced off of what you've played of the Kingdom Hearts game so far. Do you know like what it is about the game that made it kind of hard for you to connect with? Um, I thought the combat was fine. I mean, it's nothing like spectacular or anything. Uh, but the like sort of level design. Uh, a good example of this is Traverse Town, pretty close to the beginning of the game, where you have to run around chasing someone. And, like, you won't know where they go, so you just have to go through doors and hope a cutscene plays where you see them. Let me just you go ahead and give you a little a long hint. Time. Let me give you a little hint for that. You have to go to the second area. You need to go into the workshop at the top of the gummy, or at the clock tower or whatever. Then you need to go into the third area, and then you go back to the first area. It's literally just you need to go everywhere. I think the bigger problem, though, is you have to go in specific doors. No, there's no specific, specific doors. It's, it's it's literally just you need to visit those three areas and then go back to the first area. I figured I, that I out this think... time. It seems really confusing, and the cutscenes where like you'll see Donald and Goofy, it seems like you have to do something specific. I only saw one cutscene of them, and it was when I went into the workshop. It it does still sort of give way to a, a bigger problem with the game, and probably my biggest problem. With I'm the not game. defending it. I'm just excited yeah, that I yeah. finally figured out that I don't have to waste my time <laughs> looking for them. Ah, uh, yeah. Like They're... I'm. This is good news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Because even playing this game for like the second and third time, I still had to look around a lot. I mean, I have it down pat now, but... Yeah. but a uh, Another example, the entirety of Deep Jungle. Yeah, I think yeah. a lot of the levels are kind of intentionally designed to be annoying to get around. Especially yeah, the it's... early ones. Um, there, there are three Those worlds in specific three. that I think are really annoying, and it's Deep Jungle, Wonderland, and... Uh, Hollow Bastion at the end. Hollow yeah, Bastion they're... isn't confusing, it's just tedious. Yeah. I didn't think Wonderland was too confusing or anything, but it definitely wasn't great. You still had to backtrack some weird in some weird ways that you would never like intuit if you weren't just experimenting with everything. Yeah. And I think that's that's a big problem with the game. Not a problem, but certainly not to my preference, is there are a lot of cases where it just feels like you would never naturally arrive at what you need to do to solve something unless you were just trying everything. And they want you to experiment. They want you to go everywhere and interact with every object and person and everything. But it's very. there are a lot of cases where you just would never... I don't know how you would ever reason out you were supposed to do something. There's also a couple of cases, probably after what Jackson played, there's a couple of cases where you have to talk to an NPC twice in a row to initiate something, and that's incredibly annoying. It's especially annoying because one of the uh, one of the spells is locked behind doing that. Yeah. And I like think you that you can skip talk over to it. A person. Yeah. It's hmm. for Kiraga. You have to talk to Aerith like several times. I think it's more than yeah. two. Uh, yeah. when she appears on Hollow Bastion. And I, I think if you leave Hollow Bastion, I don't know if she's still there. I think you can get it from her in Traverse Town somehow. Oh. But regardless, it's still it's still something that I don't know how people arrived at naturally unless they were just legitimately going in circles, talking to people multiple times, and then then it somehow clicked, oh, if I talk to them the second and third time, it's slightly different. Maybe I should keep trying it. Like, I don't, I don't know how people arrived at that naturally. Like, I know I figured it out, but I also know I miss a ton of stuff the first time I played the game. Definitely have a lot of hindsight that's kind of driving me through playing it. Um, oh, yeah. When yeah. I played it this most recent time, I got confused because I had just been playing Metroid Dread, and the achievement in those games is for beating the game in under eight hours. So I was rushing through Kingdom Hearts 1 because I thought uh, there was an achievement for beating it in 8 hours. Turns out it was 15 hours. Oh. <laughs> uh, so I was skipping all of the cutscenes and just kind of like flying through on what I remembered <laughs> about the maps and stuff. Because I already have the cutscenes memorized. That's fine. Um, yeah. I've played through this game, what, like probably six times? Yeah. And and I will say, like, if you're in a position like ours where you, you know, you play these games and they were new and you've played them several times since, it really does cut out a lot of the things that make it hard to first get into. Like, I still really enjoyed this most recent play of the game, even though I've played it several times, including, like, earlier this year, I think. So, like, it it's still a good game. It's just that if you didn't play it when it was brand new or at the very least it was still close to contemporary i could definitely see how this game would be hard to get into a, a big part of that's going back to the combat um you know you you talked about how the enemies would sort of just stay just out of reach a lot and another big problem is there is no level of like magnetism pulling you towards enemies in this game 
Like a lot of other melee-centric combat systems, if you do an attack and there's an enemy like that's just a little bit to your side or just out of range, your character will move a little bit to them to, to hit them. And the later games have that, but Kingdom Hearts 1 has nothing. There is nothing pulling you towards an enemy unless you have an ability specifically equipped for that, which you get fairly late. So, like, you have to be very precise with all of your movements in this game in a way that doesn't feel fluid. Like, it doesn't... It feels very disjointed. Like, every move in this game feels very disconnected from other moves. If you really know the combat, that's fine. But if you don't, it's definitely alienating. I didn't realize until this playthrough that aerial combat is just better than ground combat. Yes. It does more damage. It's faster. Like... It's also just easier to pull off. Like, you have a lot more leeway. It's insane. Because I I was trying to get... There are three big achievements in Kingdom Hearts 1 that I was missing that I figured I would get. And that was the 15-hour one I mentioned. Uh, And then there's an achievement for not changing your equipment. So you're just stuck with the basic Kingdom key and whatever accessories he has equipped by default. Uh, And then there's another one for not using any continues. But since I was rushing so much, since I thought I only had eight hours, like, I was trying to figure out how to do combat as quickly as possible. And it was always just do mid-air combos even on enemies that are on the ground. Because it does so much more damage and it's so much faster. Yeah. It's just, like, weirdly non-intuitive. Yeah, it, it does seem like a lot of this game was so experimental in premise that the gameplay really suffered because of it. And overall, like, I still think this is a really special game that really, like, still has something that I, unique that I don't think has actually been caught elsewhere. So, and, and clearly, Jason, this one's been real important to you as well. Like, you know, what, what do you think it is that is so special about this series? Like, what, what about it made you really connect with it where you were willing to stick it out through some pretty rough sequels and 20 years of time. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll say the biggest thing that kept me interested in Kingdom Hearts 2 for so long, or in Kingdom Hearts for so long, was Kingdom Hearts 2. Yeah. Like, Kingdom Hearts 2 is just such a good game. Yeah. If it had just gone, like, Kingdom Hearts, and then the spinoffs, and then Kingdom Hearts 3 <laughs> had happened, it was just, like, exactly the same, but without Kingdom Hearts 2. Or if Kingdom Hearts 2 even just had the same combat from Kingdom Hearts 1, I don't think I would have stuck with it so long. Yeah. Kingdom Hearts 2 is just so incredibly fun and, like, so satisfying. And I I really like bringing, you know, Final Fantasy and Disney characters together because, I mean, obviously, I grew up with Disney characters and as I got older, I started playing, you know, more and more of the Final Fantasy games. So it's just really cool to see a crossover like that. I mean, there's no other... I, I I don't know of any other crossover series that are anywhere near what you're seeing with Kingdom Hearts. Yeah. That's weirdly one of the reasons that I do not connect well with this game. Because, uh, like, number one, I did not grow up with pretty much any of the Disney properties in Kingdom Hearts 1. And two, for some reason, I just never like when they're, like, in other stuff. I don't know why. I think it's sort of a This a isn't even really an age of itself. I don't think it's an age thing. I think this is a Jackson's childhood thing. I did have a rough childhood. <laughs> uh I owned only uh 
uh, Lion King 2 and 1.5 for a while. <laughs> I have now seen Lion King 1, which is, you know, pretty good, but it was rough. I think it's more just like I watched a lot of movies when I was a kid. And I also, I, I watched a lot of movies, like, specifically with my family. So, I mean, I saw stuff like Alice in Wonderland and, you know, I I watched Aladdin and The Lion King and stuff like that. So, I don't really think it's an age thing. Because a lot of those, a lot of the movies are significantly older than even you, Jordan. <laughs> like, Yeah, no, absolutely. I I do think, well, sort of what I was going to say is, I think it is a generational thing because there isn't that like for example when i was a kid um you know sitting down to watch a movie with the family was something that was fairly common but even just several years later that was no longer happening and first off if these movies aren't sort of new when you're a child and you don't have parents that are you know sitting you down and watching them with you you're probably not exposing yourself to movies that are 10, 20 plus years older than you. So I think for me, being like really loving these movies and being familiar with Final Fantasy, but it being a little bit inaccessible from like a narrative and mechanical aspect, like it combined one thing I really love and something I was fascinated by. And that was enough to carry me through from Kingdom Hearts 1 with its shortcomings to Kingdom Hearts 2, which I still think might be my favorite game ever made because it just, it the combat is incredible. The story flows super well. It brings out new Disney properties in a very, very cool way. Like, I think everything about the jump from 1 to 2 might be the best transition, the best improvement between a game and its sequel ever. <laughs> so, and then Kingdom Hearts 2 being as good as it was definitely cemented it in like, I am going to see everything this series does forever, <laughs> even if there have been some pretty big missteps. Yeah, no, I, I can get by on that. I think Kingdom Hearts two even let or Kingdom Hearts one, it, it even led me to watching some of these movies because, like, I had seen Aladdin, and you know, I, I like I had seen Aladdin from it was you know relatively new. Well, it was new when you were little, and it was. Yeah. I've seen most of the 90s movies, but like when I was a kid, I hadn't seen Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, I somehow missed Tarzan. I don't really know why. Hmm. I don't Uh, think I've seen that. The soundtrack went too hard. You couldn't handle it as a kid. Alice in Wonderland and Nightmare Before Christmas were the two big ones that I hadn't seen until after I played Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, I haven't seen either of those. I haven't seen Aladdin. Uh, seen Little Mermaid. Uh, I hope you still not. Yeah, seen I haven't Latin. seen most of these. Pinocchio. I don't think no. being Jackson's age and not having seen Aladdin is normal. I really do think it's a big part of his issue with, or his, you know, not issue necessarily, but like a big part of the reason he's not into Kingdom Hearts is just because like he somehow missed out on these movies. I don't know. A lot of people that I know, which are you know people my age haven't seen most of these movies either yeah i don't i don't think it's as i don't think it's as weird as as you might think jason we should just do a poll (laughs) get all of our millions upon millions of listeners and uh see see which ones they've seen based on age group (laughs) um 
Yeah, if you could now, just put your name, social security number, age, and whether or not you've seen Aladdin <laughs> in the comments, that would be great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So we've sort of laid out, you know, our experiences with it and some of like the mechanical stuff about Kingdom Hearts and we've we've definitely alluded to how just wonky the story can get. But I think one of the best and worst parts about the Kingdom Hearts series as like a an issue all the way through from the oldest games to the newest ones is sort of the structure. Because you have this whole idea that's recycled every time where you start off in some original Kingdom Hearts worlds and then you jump around to a bunch of separate Disney worlds, each one being its own separate level, which is based on a, a distinct movie or property or whatever. And it, it pretty much has followed that continuously for the entire series. I think for me, that's a, a formula that was really cool, but is now, I think, the series' biggest weakness. Because by the time Kingdom Hearts 3 rolled around, it felt like what was happening in the Disney worlds, which should be the big selling point for the game, just don't really matter anymore. Jason, how do you feel about sort of that that formula as a whole? I think the formula's fine. It's definitely just a writing issue that the stuff that happens in the Disney worlds doesn't affect the main plot. Um... I mean, it's even obvious in Kingdom Hearts 1. Like, I I feel like the only Disney world that really has any tangible effect on the main characters is maybe the Colosseum. And that's not even yeah. necessarily, like, that it affects the main plot, but just that it shares a lot of the same... Like, the, the plot that they have written for Olympus Colosseum, the Hercules world is just very similar to kind of the... It has a lot of the same themes that the main plot has of, like, what is true power? Like, yeah, you know, you your a- friends are important to you. Like, it's all about carrying on, even if you don't know if you're good enough or whatever. Like, hmm. The Kingdom Hearts story is fairly similar to the Hercules story. <laughs> Another um, movie I have not seen. <laughs> yeah. That is not surprising based on all the other ones we've talked about. Yeah, man. When you said you hadn't seen Aladdin, I was just like, he's probably not seen any of these movies. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I think that there has definitely been a decline in the writing across these games, which is partially because I, I don't think they knew very far in advance where they wanted this series to go. You say because... that, but then there are things, like, in Kingdom Hearts 1, um, at the very end, you're doing a boss fight, and it takes, or not not boss fights, but you, you have to do, like, small fights in every area, or in every world, like, one area <laughs> of every world, and one of the areas you go to is this giant chamber in Hollow Bastion that didn't have any plot relevance until the music game that just came out like (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's weird it's like obvious like some things are thought up way ahead of time but then other things just kind of seem like they're on the fly more or less yeah and i i think it's like the combination of thinking things through like way ahead of time but not thinking things all the way through that leads to the writing getting so spaghettified (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, it that actually is a good way to put it because I feel like there's a lot of separate plot threads that are explored very well and thoroughly throughout the series. And there's a lot of other ones where they're forgotten for a weirdly long time and then readdressed later. And that that probably isn't helped at all by the fact that these games are so spaced out in terms of their release schedule. I think they like narratively they definitely would have been better if they were released at least a couple years closer together. But it's still it's it's very strange, especially playing them all back to back like we did earlier this year. Was it this year? Or was it last year? I did it last year. Uh, it was last year. It was last year. Yeah, like played th- we we both played through the whole series from start to finish, and it was it's it's much more noticeable when you do it that way. And there's just a lot of there's a lot of things that aren't necessarily delivered on in the way you would expect them to be in these I, games. I personally think like all the original worlds are really good. Like I, I feel like generally when you're in a Kingdom Hearts world, I, I think that generally what you're seeing is more interesting plots happening. It's the main plot that's actually happening as yeah. part of that. And then like it just seems better written because I guess they have full narrative control over it. Yeah. I assume anytime you're in a Disney world that you know, the Walt Disney Corporation probably has some say <laughs> over what yeah. happens. Well, it was incredibly obvious with Kingdom Hearts 3 because they straight up shot down some big swings that I think would have made 3 a better game. And I think didn't... it would have made 3 a better game. And if it's stuff like having Elsa be the main villain of the Frozen world, like I think it would have been a more interesting use of the property. Yeah. And it also would have changed up one of the most notoriously terrible worlds in the series (laughs) so i know the way we're talking about all this makes it seem like this is just a totally inaccessible alienating game that offers nothing for new players but i really promise that this game and this whole series is something special and it's really just the first game that hasn't aged that well like, I think pretty much from Kingdom Hearts 2 on, including most of the spinoffs, are mechanically sound enough that they're not going to push away too many people, even if they're not as familiar with the source material. So just, if it sounds like it's up your alley at all, give it a shot. I, I think there's actually a lot to like here for most people, and especially for people that would never really expect to get that into these games. But, that's a lot of Kingdom Hearts talk, we have a lot of other stuff to get into. So... We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with all the headlines. Welcome to today's headlines. Start us off, we got some big news from the world of social media companies that steal all your data and sell it. Facebook Incorporated is no more. Now, we got Meta, because Facebook wants to explore the metaverse that's what they said um it has nothing to do with wanting to distance themselves from the name facebook it's because they're more than facebook now is you know that's what they say you could almost say they're a whole metaverse of oh no (laughs) it's it's big news um if you you know what i thought about it there's actually nothing. It's not big news for anyone, ever. Nothing is changing. Yeah, it really doesn't It's matter. not like Facebook, the application, is changing its name. 
Uh, there's no like major changes to their policy or in- or anything like that. They just decided that Facebook Inc. doesn't represent them anymore. <laughs> now they're Meta. Uh, on top of that, to make this gaming related, they're phasing out all of the Oculus branding. So the Oculus Rift is no more. And the Oculus Quest as well have been replaced with well, they're just called the Meta Rift or the Meta Quest. Which is an interesting decision. <laughs> that seems like yeah. a lot of wasted money on like all the Oculus branding. Like Yeah, that's a lot of stuff just out the window for basically no reason. Like I don't know how they're gonna make more money or salvage their company like reputation. Like I don't know how they benefit from this unless there's just some like very specific legalese that's happening where like they're not going to be held accountable for something about Facebook Inc. because they're not technically Facebook Inc. anymore or from whatever. my understanding they're I think it's partially to combat bad PR. And then also I think they wanted to do it to hopefully take the heat off of them so they don't get split up for being a monopoly. <laughs> yeah. There's bound to be some some motivation in this that has to do with anti-monopoly laws, but I still don't think it's going to really change. Yeah, it worked for Alphabet. And Well, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Although Alphabet was a lot quieter about it when they did it. That's true. And, and like, Facebook's, nothing's going to change for the user. Like, even if they get massive, massive fines, all they're going to do is rework their terms of service so that, like, technically what they're doing now is fine in the future, even if it wasn't before. And I don't know. I just feel like there's no accountability for Facebook as a company, which is maybe just my own personal cynicism. But it's just, I hate Facebook. And I hate how they've, made themselves essential in everything. But speaking of making really minor changes and hoping that it's going to fix everything about your company, we got new Activision Blizzard news. And uh, they're giving it the old college try on fixing their issues with blatant harassment, sexism, racism, homophobia... Uh, basically everything that could make a workplace hostile that they have done over and over and over again. But now they're saying no more, and we might even enforce it. On top of that, you know, they're introducing some zero-tolerance harassment policies. Um, I've heard Bobby Kotick's taking a a pay reduction. He's the CEO of Activision. Yeah. I don't I don't remember that seeing a number on it. Because... So, you know, maybe he's going from a hundred billion dollars to nine hundred and ninety-nine billion dollars. Um It is a significant pay cut. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it's like less than a hundred thousand a year now. Um the problem is that in twenty nineteen he just nonchalantly gave himself a hundred and fifty million dollars. Mm. So Huh. If I could give myself $150 million now, I would probably be willing to take 90000 next year. <laughs> I could probably swing that. Yeah, it's it's something. 
I'm just I mean, worried like, they're going to do it the way that high schools do uh, their anti-bullying policies. Give them where, a shirt? Uh, no, no, no. Where, you know, they they don't do anything about it until the person getting bullied does something, and then everybody gets suspended. Yeah, <laughs> and then everybody gets a shirt. Yeah. 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 Which, like, there are some truly positive changes happening as part of this. Like, they've promised to increase, uh, you know, the percentage of the workforce that's women and non-binary, um, which is cool and could certainly certainly be a step in the right direction. Um, I, I don't think what they're doing is necessarily going to fix any problems with it if the people that still created the previous environment are still there. <laughs> and it seems like a lot of the employees that were responsible are gone, which is, again, a step in the right direction. But it's really hard to look at any of this and see any kind of actual change after hearing about how bad things were, even, like, post the investigation starting. Like, it's it's really hard to look at a group like this and think, yeah, they're going to... Yeah, you it. have to realize that if, like, something really big comes up in an investigation, um, it was worse before the investigation started. Like, the stuff that we were seeing in the news about Activision Blizzard was when they knew they were being investigated. <laughs> like, that was them trying to keep it clean. <laughs> Nightmare. It sucks that Blizzard is uh, garbage across the board, because, like, they do genuinely make some great games, but I just, I don't feel like I'm in, in a position where I can support them until, like, there are first-hand reports from employees there that things are significantly better, and I, I don't think that's coming in. You know, even soon. without all this harassment stuff, they still bend over backwards for China, which was my big thing that caused me to stop supporting them to begin with. I don't know. In my mind, I just kind of think Activision Blizzard... I, I, I They're just gone to they're me. They're just gummy yeah. in premise. Like, I just yeah. can't support them in good conscience, no matter good conscience no matter what yeah yeah someone i can support in good conscience though is the the hit youtuber is it was it modded controllers 360 yes <laughs> it was it was recently yeah. announced that modded controllers 360 was not just the person we thought he was you know when you think of modded controllers 360 you're thinking now that is someone that I know and I'm familiar with, but it came out recently that he's actually just some guy named Tim. It sucks to see that someone that had such a tremendous successful following, like he had 14,000 subscribers and just to find out that he's out of the game and now he's just some guy like, what can you even do yeah. with that? It makes you think, like, maybe we're just chasing waterfalls with our pursuits of the internets. The news came out after people have been digging into this mysterious, you know, Tim, uh, after he recently starred in the movie Dune. <laughs> yeah, the little indie film Dune. They just uh, picked up uh, Tim... And, uh, yep. They, I would like to think 
that Vianueva uh, actually stole away this profound YouTuber and was like, actually, you're doing this Well, he now. actually, he sold three Xbox controllers. And from my understanding, all three of those were to uh, Denny. Yeah. Okay, well, this bit's gone on long enough. Let's talk about uh, someone so really Timothy famous Chalamet. now. Idris Elba. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... We got some bad news about one of my most anticipated movies, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. We've known for a minute now that Idris Elba was going to be playing Knuckles. And... We all knew what we that knew meant. a couple of things. Like from the moment we knew <laughs> that he was going to be rougher than the rest of them, the best of them, tougher than leather. <laughs> we knew his name was Knuckles, and unlike Sonic, he didn't chuckle. He'd rather flex his muscles. But now he's coming out and saying it ahead of time, way before he needs to. He's not even going to be sexy. Which I have a couple problems with this. One, imagine Idris Elba playing this character and him not being sexy. And two, it's not even Idris Elba's decision to make. <laughs> Y'all, Twitter's a weird place. <laughs> I can only imagine what kind of abuse <laughs> Idris Elba must have been getting ever since he was announced to be playing this character. Because, uh... Sonic fans are a whole different species. <laughs> like, and, and the fact that he, someone who has pretty much said in the past he doesn't really know anything about the character, the fact that he felt the need to come out and say, like, y'all, this isn't, like, this isn't that kind of movie. <laughs> like, something about that's just very funny to me. Well... Like he just he just said this apropos of nothing. <laughs> On the upside, no matter what the fans have been saying to him, I I know that it's not really going to bother him. You know, one look at him and the character that he's playing lets you know that he's hard as nails, and it ain't hard to tell. He breaks them down whether they're solid or frail. He's independent since his first breath, first test. Feel the right, then the worst left. This is like. The fourth time you reference knuckle wraps on this podcast. Let's just hope it doesn't stop here. God. Idris, I, I, I want the best for you. I worry about what this project is going to do to you, though. Idris Elba is probably my favorite actor. Like, I don't have a ton of really strong opinions about any actors, but I know I really like him and everything I've seen him in. And this is just such a weird choice, but it definitely has me more interested in the movie. Yeah. I'm definitely going to check it out. I mean, this is the first time that he's first ever had better a movie. Than I expected it to be. Or ever been in a movie. <laughs> and he deserves it, right? I mean, yep. he's the bloat thrower, the independent yeah. floor magic emerald holder. Like... <laughs> His spikes go through boulders. That's why he stays Dear a loner. <laughs> so anyways, so let's talk about we Nintendo. made a big announcement last week. 
we were telling you all, well, not last week, it was a couple weeks ago now, but last episode, if you will, we announced that Nintendo had announced the worst deal in gaming. That's, uh, that's what we call Nintendo Online Plus Expansion Pack. <laughs> Such a bad name. And in case you were wondering, the worst deal in gaming just got a whole lot worse. They finally, re- you know, released it just this week, and you can finally stream, or you can finally, like, legally emulate a lot of the most popular N64 games, as long as the most popular N64 games include Sin and Punishment and Dr. Mario 64. <laughs> Sin and Punishment's great, by the way. I highly recommend it. Very obscure. What's the game other weird game that's in it? It's like some kind of army game or something. I don't know. Currently, the platform has. Oh, nine I found games. it. It's, it's Operation uh, Winback. Winback? Never even yeah. heard of that game before. So it has some. Yeah, they included either. that instead of F Zero. Like everything. Yeah. Yeah. And like everything else in it is, you know, pretty solid Nintendo titles. I mean, plus Sin and Punishment, which was a pretty, like, cult classic e game but i mean you got mario 64 mario kart 64 Star Fox 64 they really like putting 64 at the end of game titles back then like most of them make sense it just also randomly has operation Winback, which i, I, I don't guess. think it's a very good collection <laughs> I, like there are some games in it that i re- there, no. there are honestly there are four games that i really like in it and then everything else i'm just like it's interesting that it's there but i'm never gonna play it like well, Mario 64, yeah. I already bought the... I, I bought that Mario collection a while back, and I'll probably yeah. just play it in that collection. So I already had it. But like, Ocarina of Time, Mario Kart 64, Star Fox 64. Those are all cool games. Um, I'm never going to play Mario Mario Tennis. Like, <laughs> We just have better yeah. versions yeah. now. But on top of that... The performance, especially for Ocarina of Time, is awful. Like several, <laughs> which really I was gonna sucks. say several seconds of input lag. It's not that ridiculous, but it, it'll be like a quarter second of input lag in Ocarina of Time, and that's just unplayable. Like, yeah, which really sucks because of these games. That was probably the one I was looking for. That was most probably the only one that anybody like. Yeah, that's probably, like, the only one people were really that excited to play. I have two of my all-time favorite games that are Nintendo 64 games, and were both promised to be in this collection, but neither one of them launched day one. So, like, there's really Oof. nothing what for me. What games were those? Like, Banjo? I, uh, Paper Mario yeah. and Banjo. <laughs> yeah. Two of my favorite games of all time. Both were supposed to be in this collection. And maybe it was said previously they were they were going to come later. But they were definitely shown on the list of games that were going to be in it. And they just aren't out yet. So I, The only game really that's really worth there. playing right now is Ocarina of Time. And it doesn't play properly. Well, and Star Fox 64. Which I played a little bit of that and it yeah. plays fine. But I'm not like a huge yeah. Star Fox fan. So... <laughs> I am. I love it. It's also kind of lame. It doesn't have, but, like, Majora's Mask. I don't even know if they've said if Majora's Mask is coming. Yeah. 
Uh, they still got to get people to buy a 3DS for some reason, somehow. <laughs> well, Ocarina of Time was re-released on the 3DS as well. That's true. It's it's all very strange. There's a lot of just very bad decisions. Um, <coughs> it does look like F-Zero is coming to this collection eventually. Um, Kirby 64, the Crystal Shards, is also going to be introduced, which is another one that I really love. Um, interestingly, no GoldenEye. Which I would have thought that would have been a real big selling point for this collection if it was in there, but there might be some licensing issues. Goldeneye famously has license issues. They've tried to remake it several times. Yeah, and they've had to cut out stuff if they could make it at all. Um, yeah, but it's this was already a bad deal, and it's not running well. The only reason we got it is because we have several people sharing a family plan, so we're paying basically nothing for it each. <laughs> But this is a really <laughs> bad value, especially if you're the only one that's going to be on The only plan. reason we got it is because we got the family plan, and that's... For the Animal yeah, Crossing Yeah, it ends DLC. up being Keeper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's... Ugh. <laughs> uh, so don't buy it unless you're getting the family plan. For sure. And don't even buy it with the family yeah. plan unless you guarantee you have at least four people. Because that's the only way it's going to be financially, like, advantageous. <laughs> yeah. It's a bad system, y'all. And speaking of bad systems. Which one of these two are you going to introduce with that? I don't that? know where I'm going with this. Yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was going to transition into the, the real Buzz Lightyear. But I don't know how to do that. Hey, anymore. guys, look! It's but the real Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> so and he's coming to theaters soon. Yeah. So we knew from a teaser trailer and a very weird Chris Evans tweet from about a year ago that a Buzz Lightyear origin story was coming. But we didn't know what we were getting into until the trailer was released earlier this week. And boy, oh boy, am I excited. And boy, oh boy, is this movie going to be bad. And... To paraphrase, or you know what, just to quote Chris Evans, just to be clear, this isn't Buzz Lightyear the toy. This is the origin story of the human Buzz Lightyear that the toy is based on. Don't get it twisted, though. Still fictional. <laughs> it's the origin story of the real human, the the real fictional human in the Toy Story Buzz universe. Lightyear. He's still fictional in our universe, too. Well, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, like... I, I just mean like yeah. he is based on a real person in the Toy Story universe. It's not like saying that there was actually a real person that the Buzz Lightyear toy in Toy Story was based on. Like it's not based on a real person from our world or anything. Are you telling me that the yeah. TV series Buzz Lightyear of Star Command was not a documentary? <laughs> uh, I mean, it was based on true events, <laughs> but not not quite real. <laughs> uh, well. You know, it's interesting. So, when they were creating Buzz Lightyear, like, the the character, like, their thought process behind it apparently was that, like, they were making a toy that was supposed to be, like, based off a real person but in the Toy Story But it explicitly wasn't. Because it's also said that Buzz Lightyear, the toy, is based off of Buzz Lightyear, the series, which was fictional to begin with. So this is actually really funny. This is retconning. Uh, it's something really funny to say. Yeah. 
He said when they created Buzz Lightyear the toy, they were thinking that he is based off the real guy. I was going to say, when they were creating Buzz Lightyear the man, they were thinking, let's have a child. <laughs> yeah, you, you did say that. And it's 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 not even true within like the limited backstory we have of the Toy Story universe. This is just a totally separate thing. It's just the guy happens to share a name and appearance with a character from Toy Story. Like, also, I like his space costume. Yeah, where they were like, it can't just be the one from the cartoon, and then someone else was like, can't it? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's definitely gonna be in there somewhere, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's also weird because like this clearly takes place in the future like future from our time so unless toy story takes place even further in the future <laughs> well if you notice in the first toy story movie when they have the birthday party all of the children there are just clones of andy <laughs> yeah uh so i've heard that it's actually just an orvist an organ harvesting um <laughs> Planned by by Andy's mom. Yep, that answers a lot of questions. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) This movie's going to be a train wreck. I'm so excited. (laughs) Well, it's okay, because they move between Toy Story 2 and 3. And that's why it's alright that... uh, Like, that's why Toy Story 3, he grows up and he looks different from the other people. Because, you know, he moved. That's (laughs) why Bo Peep isn't there. He got out. Uh, speaking of movies about people getting out speaking of uh, movies speaking of movies that shouldn't exist (laughs) we're finally getting that (laughs) uncharted movie that people have been talking about for since uncharted came out in 2007 and it's starring spider-man and transformers man marky mark without the funky bunch yeah. Or Matt Damon. It's definitely one of the two. I think everybody knows who I'm talking about when I say Transformers, man. <laughs> yeah. The star of the Transformers movies. Duh. So they finally released that big trailer that everyone's been waiting for. And it has that iconic scene from Uncharted 3 where he falls out of an airplane Um, It looks very true to the games in general, which, like, I guess is a start. Yeah, I think, honestly, after rewatching the trailer a couple times, I think it looks pretty good. I'm excited for it. I I really hope that it goes for sort of the Indiana Jones style, which was clearly what inspired the games. Like, I think that there is definitely potential for something great here, and people have seen that since 2007, which is why this, this movie has been started and stopped and started and stopped many times over. I still think that uh, Nathan Fillion should be playing Nathan Drake. It just feels yeah, right. Yeah, it does. It does. And he like, just seems like the right guy for it. <laughs> and this is a huge called shot on, on uh, Sony's part to go and uh, have their series... Star be they have their movie adaptation star a character who is significantly younger than the character themselves because clearly they're just setting up 
the potential for him to play the character for a long time, like until he is Nathan Drake in the game series, or you know, the game series age, or at least closer to it. Like this is this is bold. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like I'm not completely writing this one off. It's just video game movies have a bad have a bad rep, and this doesn't necessarily feel like the one that's going to break that. We've got but, like two, you know. and one of them was Sonic. I don't. Yeah. No, uh, we got two, and one of them was Angry Birds. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Detective Pikachu was all right. Yeah, that was that was the other. Oh yeah, one. I forgot. Yeah, I think that Angry Birds did better than Sonic. I don't like this world. Or like it was, it had better reviews. <laughs> well, you can do anything you want with Angry Birds, and they did. <laughs> they did a lot of what they want. Yeah. I mean, like, there's there's no story in the game. There's no, like, characterization for any of the birds. You can just do whatever you want. Well, that's a lot of headlines. So I think it's about time that we pulled the plug. Jackson, what else have you been into? Well, I have been re-watching season two, uh, specifically season two, <laughs> of one of my favorite shows of the past few years, Mandalorian and uh, I'm only rewatching season two because right before season two originally came out I rewatched season one <laughs> and this is I think Mandalorian is probably my favorite or very very high up there favorite piece of Star Wars content it is so good it yeah but have you seen Star Wars <laughs> Star Wars episode Epis- four the one that was just called Star Wars <laughs> You know, that one's pretty good, too. But, like, I I think the reason I like Mandalorian so much is because, like, you know, the movies, they focus on, like, the Jedi side of everything. And even the cartoons, you know, uh, Clone Wars, it, the main characters are Anakin, Ahsoka, Obi-Wan. Rebels, the main characters are uh, Kanan and Ezra, both Jedis. And then you have this, where it's about a Mandalorian, there's not even any Force users except for, like, a little bit of one episode. Well, okay, I guess there is, you know, the child, but... Wait till I tell him about the secondary <laughs> Yeah, I guess there is the child, but, you know, he's not doing uh, too much. Uh, but, like... Sorry, who is this Who is this child? Sorry. Is there another way I would know him? Chicky Nuggy guy. Uh, you might also know him as... Babu Freak. <laughs> <laughs> there we go, that's it. No way, Grogu. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I just—he was Grogu, right? Yes. I I think what really sticks out to me about Mandalorian is it shows the more like kind of normal life <laughs> side of the Star Wars universe. You see a lot of different my so-called Star Wars life. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you know, for the most part. The Mandalorian is just trying to stay out of trouble and protect the child. He's not, at least for a lot of it, not trying to go on this, like, you know, big mission to, like... Well, he's never going on a big mission to save the galaxy. But for most of it, he's not going on any sort of big mission. It's kind of just, like, doing stuff to survive. Which I just think is something we don't see of the Star Wars universe very often. I gotta say... 
Giancarlo Esposito absolutely oh, kills yeah. it. Like, I'd I'd say he's probably. Well, okay, I guess, you know, compare the Darth Vader, who is one of the best villains of all time, uh, but I would say Giancarlo Esposito's character of Moff Gideon, one of the best villains in Star Wars. I, I think he's, yeah, I would agree with that. He does. I think, Grand, <coughs> yeah, uh, I think he's what Grand Moff Tarkin was supposed to be. Yeah. In, like, episode four. I really wish Tarkin was in the original like the original trilogy yeah because i i really do like tarkin and i think it's really interesting that like even darth vader is afraid of him kind of only in that one movie it's it's implied yeah but i i think like moff gideon is what he was supposed to be so right or maybe even what he was you know (laughs) like i haven't read too much of the extended stuff that has tarkin in it so maybe he is like that in the uh in the books but yeah, but I just and you know the the acting in this is really good. You know you've got uh, you've got I can't uh, can't think of his name now. Uh, Pedro Pascal's Pedro Mandalorian. Pascal. Like you don't even see any facial expressions from him, but he he puts so much emotion just into his action and uh, speaking, which usually you know you got to have facial expressions in there too, but you don't with him. I mean, I, I will say I think it helps that his character just isn't very emotional. True. Yeah, he's very stoic. Yeah. which is which is easier to act out. But I do think that Pedro Pascal still sells oh, yeah. it incredibly well. There's also the bigger thing, like Jackson <coughs> is just the biggest Gina Carano fan, like crazy about that woman, like loves loves everything that she does and is stuck by her through all of the controversy. <laughs> That's why he will not be watching season three of Mandalorian. Uh, <laughs> but it is why he is rewatching yeah. season two. It's wild how how people pretend that she like made that show. She when she's, she's in, in like, like four yeah, episodes. She's in total. like two episodes of season one, and like she, it's not like she like like portrays her character like extremely well or something. And then she's in just a few episodes of season two. Like wasn't really even needed in the show to be honest. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> Jason, what you've been doing? <laughs> well, I, in preparation for next week's episode where we're going to play Guardians of the Galaxy and talk about it, I decided I would play a different superhero game and talk about it now. Uh, so I picked back up, well, I, I picked up a PS4 copy of the Arkham Asylum and Arkham City. It was like a return to Arkham collection. And I've been playing through that. <laughs> and, uh... I gotta say, like... So far, I'm really enjoying Arkham Asylum... Playing Arkham Asylum again. Like, I think it's aged really oh, well. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I played it just a couple couple years ago and was, like, really impressed by how, how yeah. well it holds up. And it's probably, like... I mean, it's not as big and ambitious as City, but I think it's just such a good package. Yeah. Like, it... It is a very good standalone Which, game. Which... It's like a Metroidvania. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I think it's we. I think it's one of my favorite three D implementations of that idea. I think um, one of the very like uh, specific things that I really like about Arkham Asylum is that it's hard mode, 
uh, instead of just, like, increasing, like, how much damage the enemies can take, like, in City and Night, uh, I don't, I don't think they do more damage to you, but they just, like, first of all, there's no counter symbols above enemies' heads, uh, which, that makes it harder, and then there's... It's like that in all of them. No, it's not like that in City. At least not yeah, City. No, I, you just I, have to pl- I think you have to beat the game to unlock <coughs> it in City. Mm. Oh, yeah, I think, yeah, so Arkham Asylum just has three modes, easy, normal, and hard, and then I think City has, like, easy, normal, hard, and, like, ultra hard, and on uh, hard, at least, they just take ten times more, uh, they just have ten times more health than they should. I'm playing on hard mode, and... It is hard because yeah. you have to actually pay attention to the enemies. But I think it's also really weird sometimes about when you can counter enemies. Yeah. Because a lot of times you'll think that, oh, like the enemy's running up to me, so I can <laughs> counter it now. And it'll just be like, no, you were too early. Yeah. Personally, though. Your, your combo's ruined. Yeah. Personally, I, I didn't really have that problem a whole lot when I played it about a year ago. But personally, I really love not like having the counter thing. I think it just makes you, like, more aware. Like, I don't think that that should be, like, the standard for all difficulties in a game. But I do think you should have the option of turning counters off. And I never really thought anything like that until playing that. And personally, I just think it makes it ten times more fun. I think it's an interesting way to implement hard mode. Yeah. Um, The issue I have is if you do get hit, sometimes you'll just get pummeled. You'll get hit by one enemy, and then another enemy will run up and hit you, like, while you're recovering. And... You'll, you'll kind of get stuck in a loop until you get lucky and counter one yeah. or jump out of the way. It's just really annoying. Uh, but, like, the bigger thing I wanted to get into is, like, I really think that exploring Arkham Island is, like, super interesting. Um, I didn't know it was on an island. <laughs> it's not on an island in the normally, right? I don't think so. It definitely has been in certain depictions. But it's much closer to the mainland, and it's just like a regular size bridge to get there. Whereas this depiction, it's very separated from the city. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think that all the different areas of Arkham Asylum are really interesting. I think that, like, it's a really unique take on a lot of the characters. Yeah. Um, and it, it includes a lot of, like, references to characters that were pretty recent at the time. I mean, there are some original characters just straight up to Arkham <coughs> Asylum, but it, it's one of the first appearances of Hush outside of the comics. I mean, it's only for a moment. It's like a one of the Riddler challenges. It's just like you find his name somewhere. But like, it's kind of cool. It has it recognizes a character from 2003 and talks about them a little bit. And it does the same with like Great White Shark. Uh, I really like what they did with Bane and Killer Croc, like, making them huge and actually kind of scary. Like, you can definitely see how Batman's getting... Like, why he's having trouble fighting them. Like, it it makes his enemies seem a lot more scary than I think the comics do a lot of the time. Or at least other... Like, the movies, definitely. Yeah. I don't think the movies have ever really had a Batman villain other than uh, the Joker in The Dark Knight that was actually, like, a threatening character. <laughs> yeah. And, and I know mostly like the older ones went for more like a campy, funny atmosphere, but I think though, 
uh, one of my other favorite things about Arkham Asylum is that, you know, a lot of times when you think of Batman, you think like, you know, in the streets of Gotham, gliding between buildings and, you know, grappling hook to stuff. Well, like, this is the asylum, not a city. So, like, there's not a whole lot of that. And I think that's actually a pretty good way to start the series, in my opinion. I'll be honest. I, like, Batman kind of, like, exploring Arkham Asylum feels much more true to the character than flying around the city. Yeah. Like, I a really... A recent... Oh, sorry. You go ahead. Uh, like, a lot of what I think Arkham Asylum does well is introducing you to the more detective side of Batman than the just beating people upside. Granted, yeah, exactly you still beat up people say. a lot. Yeah. This it's is... definitely kind of interesting because it feels like when you're just out in Gotham, like, Batman's definitely in control all the time. Um, and this game and Arkham City do a really good job of making Batman, like, feel like a prisoner, basically. Yeah. Like, obviously, the villains are in charge of the asylum in this game. Like, right. Batman doesn't have anything except what he already brought with him, and uh, partway through, what, when you when he suddenly remembers, oh yeah, I have a Batcave here. Yeah. Still think that was kind of weird, but... You spend a really long time before you get any, uh, like, any tools in this game. Yeah. Like, where you just like, have the Batarang. Yeah. First, like, two hours. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think you get the explosive gel pretty early, but then after that, you don't get anything for, like, a while. But, like I said, I enjoy it. I think the the voice acting's really good, because they got a bunch of the people from the, uh, the original cartoon from the 90s. Um, I think it's fun to explore. I think, like, the way that they kind of worked the Metroidvania formula into a big 3D game was really cool. I don't really have too much more to say about it. Really good game. And I think it held up well. Only thing I don't really think held up well is uh, it's very clearly in that weird phase (laughs) with Harley Quinn when they didn't know what they wanted to do with her. So they were just like, she's the Joker's eye candy. It's just kind of weird to go back to that after, I feel like they've done a lot with Harley Quinn in recent years, especially like the stuff that she's doing in the comics and the stuff that she's doing in even other games like Injustice, the cartoon. It just feel like she's really, she's a really flat character in comparison to how she's treated now. It's kind of lame. That's all I really got to say about it, though. Jordan, what you been up to? Well, I am once again going to be talking about our competition, another podcast. <laughs> uh, so I'm a, a big fan of actual play podcasts. Um, and since I've been caught up on the other ones I keep up with for a while, I decided I finally wanted to give uh, Dungeons and Daddies a shot. This is a D&D 5e actual play podcast. Uh, that is run by Anthony Birch, who is a video game writer who is responsible for a good chunk of the Borderlands series, which are some of my favorite games. Um, and most of the players are associated with the group Rocket Jump, which created Video Game High School, which is a, a, another thing I am very, very into. Um, so after I found out who all was on it, I was like, totally, it's like, I definitely got to give this a shot. And the premise is a little strange. They play dads who have lost their sons in the forgotten realms but they play dads like from earth 
who have to go to the Forgotten Realms. And it starts off a little too ridiculous and a little too silly for me to, like, really fall in. But after probably, I don't know, seven or eight episodes, it turns into, like, a, a real fascinating story and some really, really solid character work that I haven't seen in a lot of other actual play podcasts. And I don't know, it's, just, it's very good. It's very funny. It's totally different than any other actual play I've listened to. It's a little darker and a little bit raunchier than than most so if you're very into uh critical role this is the opposite of that but it's it's really it's really good though like it's genuinely good character moments a a pretty solid world and a, a really good overarching narrative if you're the type who has been hesitant with actual play podcasts i, I think this is a really good one to jump on just because it's it's funny above all else um, and, uh, they, they just finished up their first season, which is, uh, called Dungeons and Daddy's Odyssey. <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's, uh, 69 whole episodes. Of, of course it is. Um, and it's, it takes a lot of time, but it's, it's a story that's definitely worth it. And they're setting up some very cool stuff to come ahead. So it's, uh, it's very cool. I, I recommend it if you like D&D, if you like comedy stuff, if you like Anthony Birch's writing and other stuff. Like he, he worked on God of War, so that's another really big one that I really love. So, you know, if you like anything he's worked on, then I recommend it. This is the one, uh, this is the D&D podcast that their slogan is not a BDSM thing, right? Yes. The full title is Dungeons and Daddies, asterisk, not a BDSM podcast. <laughs> um. Except for when it is, because sometimes it is. Okay, well... Sometimes it is a BDSM podcast. Yeah. Just like our podcast. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, I think that just about does it for another episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. If you would like to contact us, there's a whole bunch of ways to do it. But most notably, Twitter, at TBMcast, Instagram, at Totally Biased Media. Email totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. Get send us your, your reviews, your suggestions for the show. Anything you want to tell us, we're happy to engage. If you send us something we like, we'll read it on the show, and we'll, we'll certainly engage with you however we reasonably can. I was going to read our, one, of our lo- one of our recent emails. This email, it's not even from me this time. It's, uh, it's from Emily Alba. It says, Dear Friends, Greetings from my own side. I am Mrs. Emily Alba, a widow to late diplomat Dr. Abubaka Zongo. Hmm. I am 54 years old, suffering from pancreatic cancer. My condition is really bad, and it is quite obvious that I won't live more than six months, according to my doctors. I am willing to donate the sum of 7,500,000, with an E, euros. Um, and then they put that out in numbers for me. Out through you in other to help the poor widows and the less privileged ones in the rural areas and to carry out other charitable works. I wait for your urgent reply to proceed. Best regards, Mrs. Emily Alba. We here at Totally Biased Media really feel for you. Unfortunately, this is a business account, so we are going to have to ask you to email us Personally, um, 
I see you started the email with dear friend, so I'm assuming that you already know us. I don't remember Emily Alba off the top of my head. Do you guys remember her? Uh, doesn't ring a bell, but I mean, it seems pretty legit, though. I wouldn't question it. Yeah, so just email us at one of our personal emails, uh, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. I do think it's really cool that even though you're 54 years old, suffering from pancreatic cancer, that you do take time to listen to our podcast and reach out to us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we will be sending a care package to you. Also, looking We back, will need your social security number, though, to send it. But, for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. And you just felt the bias a second time. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. It's all right.